Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Well, I want to welcome you back to a series that we began a few weeks ago. If you're just joining us, and I'm going to catch you up to speed where we're talking about something that's guaranteed in our lives, and that is changes and life's twists and turns. We're looking at one of the major anchor stories in the Bible, the Exodus story. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 32 is where we're going to be this weekend. I want to look in the camera and welcome all those that are watching online. We receive messages from people literally all over the world that are watching and connecting, and we're thinking about you. Also, our McKinney campus, those may be watching in a video venue here at the Keller campus, our commons, watching the message later. And I want to welcome our Hazlitt campus. We're excited. Their third week gathering there, and uh, we celebrate with you. In fact, Lizzie's story She's a part of the Hazlitt campus, and she's going to get baptized right there in that school right after this service, so we celebrate with her and what God's doing. Come on, let's put our hands together. I still get moved. I've, I've been doing this for 27 years, and uh, uh, then we sing that song about Jesus being a treasure rich and rare, and you know what I have in my heart as I'm just... I'm telling Jesus how rich and how rare and how awesome he is, but also having my heart for every single person this weekend to know that Jesus, to know him, because he is rich and rare and powerful, and I know we look to so many solutions in our culture to solve the pains of our world, but we see it on display in these baptismal settings where Jesus is the answer, and Jesus is who they're looking for. I celebrate with young people. We had a young little a girl who saw a yard sign this weekend and called her grandpa, and her grandpa brought her to church. She gave her life to Christ. Her sister gave her life to Christ. We see all these stories of family members and friends. God's doing amazing things among young people at Milestone. I want to thank you for being a church that loves the next generation. We have, on Wednesday nights here at the Keller campus, we're busing students from Hazlitt, making preparations for one day being able to have some student meetings in Hazlitt, because that's how the whole thing in Hazlitt started, was from a group of young people that started coming over to our Wednesday night services, and literally, they take over this whole campus. And I hear people all the time making comments about young people. They don't have enough grit. You know, they need to quit playing video games, get out of their mom's basement. You know, we hear it all the time. And there's always something within different generations that God is wanting to grow them in. But I want you to know, there is a massive move of God on Wednesday nights with these young people coming together, and over 50 of them gave their heart and life to Christ this Wednesday night. And that's not ordinary or normal. It's not ordinary. And I, I just want to say thank you for loving them and loving people that are far from Jesus. Um, we're in this series, Subject to Change. And the reason I started the series is I was reading the Old Testament in my study break. My wife and I have been reading the Old Testament together this year. And I saw this story, but I also saw it through the lens of even in my own life. Here's what I've learned about myself. 
Uh, I like to think I'm better at the changes that are coming. I, I like to think that even when God's leading me to a new place, I, I would like to tell you that I always respond properly, but I find I need help with it, that I need help allowing God to lead, allowing God to get outside of my plans and, and a lot of times even my tendency to wanna try to fix things sometimes that he never called me to fix. Maybe somebody this weekend is relating to where I can get, but here's one thing that's guaranteed in life is we all talk about it. You're not gonna have death and too many taxes, but you're gonna have change. It's gonna happen. You're going to face things in life. Sometimes things you pray for, which is in the story in Exodus, they prayed for God to deliver them. In fact, our baptism celebration this weekend is actually a New Testament demonstration of the picture of what we call the Exodus. Some of you don't know what that story is. Let me catch you up to speed. This is what we've been talking about. God's people are in bondage in Egypt and they cry out to him and he delivers them from Egypt, but then they now set out on this journey which should just take a few days, but because of their hearts, they end up in a 40 year wandering around. Two and a half million of them, only two go in. And so, the Bible repeats this story. There's movies made about it. It's an anchor story to the Jewish faith. Why? Because we see ourselves in the story and we see where they're at. But yet this picture of being translated from bondage into freedom, God's desire to not just get you free from where you have been, but to free those things in your heart that are holding you back and God's desire to take you in to the promises that he has for you. And so we, we not only want to be set free and delivered, but we also want to walk into everything God has planned for our lives. And not everybody does. Not everybody does. Again, the majority of this group settled for a lot less than what God had planned for their lives. And so we're watching the journey. And, and this week, I, I want to take you to a story because we've been looking at the big overview how God led them, you know, that's a fear we have. If something's new, it's like, where do I get my cues? Where do I get direction? Well, if you'll ask God, the Holy Spirit, if you'll say, God, reveal yourself to me, get ready, because he will. But then if you get some direction, a lot of times our greatest fear is, will we have enough? Will God provide? And so we've been looking at how God led them through a cloud, through fire, how he dropped bread out of heaven because he's a good provider. His name is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And yet we've been looking at that big overview. I wanna take you back to what scholars believe in this journey. They're in Egypt, miracles happen, the Red Sea is parted, and scholars believe three months into the journey, they end up in this place, this is an anchor moment, called Mount Sinai. And God brings them to Mount Sinai for some specific reasons. He has a specific purpose in mind. See, they don't really know this God who loves them. They're, they don't know how to worship that God. They don't have any distinctives about who he wants them to be. They don't know how he thinks. So he takes them there, takes Moses up on a mountain, and it's only God's grace that he doesn't die because he's talking to God face to face. It's a pretty miraculous story. And God gives him the Ten Commandments. How many of you, anywhere you're watching, how many of you ever heard of the Ten Commandments, okay? All right. Well, these ten principles 
Now in our world today, we have trouble with it because we're like, well, God doesn't need the law, we have Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't come to abolish the moral principles that God gave on Mount Sinai. He didn't come to do away with those principles. There's ceremonial laws. There's man's additions to those laws. There's things that change governmentally. But let me just tell you, God's moral compass and moral principles, the worldview you have through the lens of this God, those are good principles that he put in those commandments. The question's not, did he give them? Our question is, how can he actually live them? Jesus came to give us the opportunity to understand why God's giving us those things because it's not like he's trying to kill our fun. It's that he loves us. He's trying to help us. He's trying to guide us. He's trying to give us direction. And so we see, and this is the theme I want you to get. You're like, Jeff, you're telling us this whole story. Where are we trying to go? Well, here's where we're trying to go. Three months in, God knows that at the end of the day, we do what our hearts desire. Your heart is what will lead you. Your heart will guide you. You will be guided from the inside out, though we a lot of times think in change, it's what's happening to me that's the problem. It's what's happening out there that's the issue. It's this circumstance, it's that situation. It's him, it's them. And God says, no, 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 no. The battle's here. Battle's right here in this thing called the spirit part of who we are, the Bible calls it the heart. So he takes them to Mount Sinai and we see a revealing of what God's wanting to do in their heart because Moses is up the mountain meeting with God, they're at the bottom breaking the commands. In fact, the top two don't have any other gods and don't make any graven images. They're at the bottom breaking those. This story that I'm gonna read to you from Exodus 32, by the way, Stephen mentions it in Acts chapter seven. He says, our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts, notice what Stephen says is the problem. In their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. In their hearts. By the way, whenever you turn the wrong direction, you always start in your heart. That's why when you have a pain, when you have a failure, when you have a mistake that you now identify yourself by and you don't know how to get cleansed from, you let that define you and your heart deceives you, which leads you off course from where God wants to take you. He says, their hearts turn back to Egypt. They told Aaron, by the way, this phrase, it's mentioned three times, you're gonna hear it, and it's consistent with the same phrase. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, that same phrase is used over and over. Moses is the big hero, you know, in the movie, let my people go. He's went from great redeemer, great deliverer to this fellow Moses. <laughs> By the way, if you lead anything, if you're a parent or anybody, you know, you can go from hero to zero real quick. I'm just telling you, it'll happen real quick. Make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So we're talking about the heart. We're talking about he's up there and while he's up there, he doesn't know what's going on. I'm not Moses, but I thought about a Moses moment I had one time. I had a powerful time with God, had a powerful word. It was a Sunday morning. And I remember, I don't remember the word and no one else probably remembers what the word is, but I was just 
with God, just excited about Sunday church. Back then, the church was about three years old. I think I had a three-piece suit too. You know, we we stopped that, but I I, I had a you know whole thing put together. I was looking good. You know, dressed for success. You know, I had it there. Had my word. Had my big Bible. Back then, I carried a big Bible thumping Bible. You know, hit somebody with it Bible. And I had I was a little bigger, so I think I daisy chained three neck extenders together to get my tie on, and and uh, and I walked out of my house to go to church, and my car wasn't there, and my wife was in the house. I'm thinking. My kids didn't drive. They were little. I said, what happened to the car? Somebody stole the preacher's car. I mean, he was up on the mountain and they stole my car on a Sunday. I don't know what happens to people who steal the preacher's car out of his driveway on a Sunday when he's going to bring the mighty word of God, but it's probably Old Testament level judgment and persecution. I'm just telling you. I want to be very clear as we talk about subject to change and I read you these stories, I want to make it applicable to your life. But I do also want to say, we're not talking about the Exodus story, just relegating it down to my car being stolen, your kids going through a difficult time, moving to a new city. These are all things part of our lives, new jobs, the transitions of our culture, the changes that have seemed to be rapid and abundant in our recent time period. But I do believe the story really causes us to look at our hearts. I'm not trying to relegate it down to all that. This is a macro story of the overall purpose of God for humanity. But we can take the story, and I think we can really see ourselves in the story, to be honest. And also, I don't know, a lot of people get bored with the Bible. The Bible is quite colorful and humorous. And it's really a lot more funny when we're reading it about somebody else than it is our deception. But this story is interesting, Exodus 32. Let's look at what happened at Mount Sinai. We're talking about our hearts. When the people saw that Moses was so long, important to note that, Moses is taking too long. Boy, we're real susceptible to making a dumb decision when we feel like God's taking too long. Oh, it'll take forever to get a godly man. I'll just settle for this numbskull over here. Taking too long. And coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods. Let me teach you how to read the Bible here real quick. Some of y'all don't, it's like you're you're trying to learn. I want to help you. Why did they want gods? Because all the other neighboring nations had gods. They all had these gods that were not God but gods that made them feel more safe because they believed those gods had power. They were really just superstition. They were really inanimate objects that do not have any real power. And the the theme of the Old Testament, if you're saying, I'm reading all this and I get bogged down, the whole theme of the Old Testament is Yahweh, God, creator, God, the living and true God is the God among all other gods. He is the only true and living God. And if we anchor ourselves to the fact that he is God and that God has given us his word, then by way of us believing that, then we can come to the understanding that that God became flesh among us and dwelt among us and loves us and will receive what he says too through the person of Jesus Christ. But they said, we need some gods because we need something like what everybody else has. Who will go before us? Here it is again. As for this fellow Moses, that, that, that guy. This fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them and said, take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. So all the people took their earrings off and brought them to Aaron. 
He took what they handed him. This is important to note as well. He's a very, very, he is a deliberate, intentional participant in this sin. Because it says, he made it into an idol. He made the idol cast in the shape of a calf. You're like, why did they make a calf? Because it was a common God of that day that signifies fertility, abundance, and provision. I want to tell you, though, this is thousands of years ago, it's still the number one God we want. I don't really care what they say, what they believe, or where they're at. If they can provide, if that God can provide what I want, I will worship it. I will deny my faith because fear of abundance and provision is the number one fear that comes on the inside of us today. So they were like, we need a calf because calves help us with abundance, with a provision. And so that's what he made them because he knew that's what they really wanted. He fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Not true. Moses, God, he's the one that brought him out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, this is very amazing to me. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. That's amazing. Like our world today just kind of synchronizes all of it. Like, I'm going to come to church and wave my hands, but then I'm going to deny God all week. I'll blend stuff into my faith and I'll say, so we're just going to add Jesus to all these other false things that do not honor God. So Aaron, it's a humorous. He's like, we make an idol. That's breaking the commandment of don't make idols, but here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow, we're going to have a festival to the Lord. (laughs) So if I just say hallelujah enough, then it makes it okay. Amazing. Now, let's look at Moses' response, that, that, that fella. When Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, because you know we are made to worship. We will worship something, so they're worshiping it. His anger burned. Moses is pretty mad. He threw the tablets out of his hands. He broke them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. God took care of that later, by the way, but anyway, he broke these, the first edition. <laughs> he took the calf the people had made, and Moses is kind of You know, like as a parent, when you're like, okay, I'm a little bit off here. I'm going off the rails right now. He's going off here. He's really getting crazy. He took the calf the people had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. (laughs) It's like when your mom washes your mouth out with soap, or this is a bad illustration, when you smoke your cigarette back before we knew cigarettes killed you, and then your parents are like, you smoke one, here, here's a hundred. Bad illustration, but anyway, okay, whatever. Just, Just smoke them till you throw up, okay. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Look what it says. Do not be angry. Look at Aaron. These stories show us how we have such an ability to be deceived. Why'd you lead them into sin, Aaron? He said, don't be angry, Moses. Aaron answered, you know how prone these people are to evil. (laughs) These people, it's their fault. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this, here it is again, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And so this is just quite humorous right here. Listen to it. So I told them, whoever has any gold or jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and then this calf just came out. (laughs) Come on, parents. Come on, bosses. Come on, anybody in charge of, you did what? 
it was an accident. I don't know how it happened. It just, it just, it just, just happened. Amazing. Amazing story, but yet it also shows us God's desire to guide our hearts. What in this moment, three months into the journey, is God trying to put in them? He's trying to give them these guiding principles, not just his principles, but that their heart might embrace so that he can get them to the promised land. He's forming them. He's trying to give it to them. But look at the journey of this law, this truth, this moral truth. It literally is there to guide us to our need for Jesus. He starts with that law. Then he says, teach that law. And so you give it to your kids. You talk about it when you're along the path. You pray that law. But what's God's ultimate plan for his truth and his principles and us getting literally the mind of Christ involved in our hearts? Here's my heart, Jeremiah, the prophecy of what would happen in Jesus. I will put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then in Jesus, I love 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. This is the real power. I, some of you, I want you to really not, not miss this. You're like, how do I get my heart in a good place? Jesus is different than calf idols. Jesus is different than any other idol, any other religion. Lizzie's story is so great. It's not about, oh, I can't meet the demands of Jesus. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus comes to live inside of you and transform your heart so he changes what you want to do. And now that's how you get wisdom in your life to go, God, I want to do what you want because I don't want to miss my destiny. I don't want to miss the promised land. I don't want to wander around for 40 years with a bunch of mess that I've got to clean up. 2 Corinthians 3.3, you show that you are a letter, Paul talking, from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human heart is what God is trying to do. Change our heart. And what he wants us to do is willingly receive what he wants to do. But what are the challenges? I want to make it real practical in our last few moments, because what can we learn from this story? And and how can it really help you beyond this series or beyond what you're facing now? What, what do we need to know about ourselves that we find out about ourselves and need to allow God to change? And what are the challenges when we hit change? Number one, it takes too long. It's very hard. The Bible says it's through faith. Yes, this faith, God's going to do something great, but patience to let him bring his desire. Not easy. I wouldn't say that most people listening to me right now, including myself, patience is our top characteristic. We don't really live in a very patient world. But I want to tell you a counsel. I want to bring you in. If you and I were having coffee, I give this at least three, four times a week, this counsel. So I'm just going to do group counseling for a minute. I gave it to one of my children Friday. When you think God is taking too long and there's an anxious thing in you to get what you think you need or what you do need or whatever it is that's out there and there's something in you, you are the most vulnerable to settle for less than what God has. God doesn't drive you. The Spirit will lead you. And if you have to defend what you're doing, then you probably will know for sure that you're not on God's page if you're defending what you're doing because you don't have to defend when God's into it. So there's this, this human urge. And you know what I've learned even in my own life? I wanna submit to what God has because he's usually doing something so much more grand and better. Let's think about the story. 
They're at the bottom worshiping a calf and Moses is meeting with the God of the universe who breathes stars into existence face to face. And he's about to give them the 10 commandments, one of the biggest moments in human history. And they're at the bottom going, Moses is taking too long. We want a cow. (laughs) The devil wants you to settle for the cow. He wants you to settle for the calf. It's taking too long. God's usually right on time, but he's usually not in a hurry to meet your demand. Why? He's working on your heart. He's building trust. Takes too long. Second is we get distracted. We get off focus. We're supposed to be worshiping our God, being his people, following what he's doing, but we live in a very distracted world. Did you know we live in a world with more competing things for your attention than ever in human history? Ever. There's the potential for you every three seconds to be distracted. Again, I started preaching before cell phones. I preach now. You, it's harder to communicate today because there's so many distractions in our lives. The average person looks at their smartphone 2,600 times a day. When you get distracted, squirrel. <laughs> Takes you 23 minutes to get back into focus. It's just the way our world is. By the way, the people who made the smartphones carry dumb phones. They give you the smartphones, they make a lot of money, they carry dumb phones, and they put their Wi-Fi in their house on timers so that they don't stay in a place of distraction all the time so that they can keep being productive to sell you the smartphone while they carry the dumb one. Because they know it decreases productivity in life. There's plenty of things out there telling you, this will solve your problem. This will meet your health need. This will help you. This will make you better. You need this. Join my agenda. Join my cause. And God's saying, why don't you worship me? Why don't you let me be the center of your focus? We can easily be distracted. 1 John 5, 21 says, dear children, keep yourself from idols. The NLT, I like better. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. So you say, Jeff, I'm trying to decide, do I have an idol? Well, is the thing that maybe God said something about or someone close to you has said something about, is you continuing to pursue that thing cause you to be closer to God or farther from God? Because if it pulls you away from God and his desires for you, it's called a calf. It's called an idol. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. I like that. Anything that might take God's place in your hearts anything. Three, we want what other people have. We all do. And so this group of people in the desert, I'm so glad we can look at them because, you know, it feels like we're not really talking about ourselves. We're talking about these people in the Bible. (laughs) They were consistently comparing and complaining. We need an idol because they have an idol. I taught in our college this week. Um, Wednesday, I lunchtime. We have a college, if you don't know, we have Milestone College. It's accredited by Oral Roberts University. um, And it's students studying and pursuing and investigating a call to ministry. So I believe we need more life-giving churches and more people who are equipping the saints for the work of ministry and helping people and shepherding people and pastoring people. And so last year we started this college to help them. We have 18 students last year, 18 this year, 36 students pursuing. And I love to talk with them. Sometimes I teach them, but this week I just sat down and said, you guys make the agenda. Tell me what you're struggling with. 
Well, previous to that, last week, we had a three-day staff gathering where we were pouring into our staff, and we worshiped together and poured into them, and one of the talks was given by one of our staff pastors on restlessness. When you get restless and you are struggling with that, then you can get off course from where God's trying to take you. Remember, the Holy Spirit guides you. Your flesh will drive you to a bad decision. So a girl, very sharp girl, very articulate girl in this class said, Pastor Jeff, I wanna talk about restlessness. I said, well, look, I don't want in any way for you to receive this as disrespectful because I'm thankful for your question and I believe it helps all of us in here. But I don't wanna make this more complicated than it is. We can keep talking about it, but we can also get to the bottom line and I'll just tell you straightforward what the problem is. You are a generation that has lived with the ability to compare your life to somebody else your whole life. So you consistently live. And let me just tell you, this is of epidemic proportions in our culture. Allie's not the only person that struggled with depression and anxiety and suicide that we saw God set her free from in this service today at the Keller campus. It's, it is a epidemic problem among young people today of anxiety. I said, the reason you're restless is you have started with comparison of someone else 2,600 times a day and complaining because you don't have what they have and you keep it in your heart. The starting place for God's whole order in Genesis starts with steward what you've already been given. Worship your God, thank him for what you have. Worship him every day. Give it back to him every day. Worship him, honor him, glorify him, and steward what you have. Steward really the first place you steward? They go, well, what do we steward? You know what your first responsibility to steward is? Your heart. Steward your heart because out of it flow the issues of life. How's my heart? Is it desensitized to God? Am I worshiping an idol but combining the festival of the Lord? Steward your heart, steward your heart, steward your heart. We want what other people have. The fourth thing is we lose sight of truth. We lose sight of truth. See, they were in a place where God was wanting to give truth to them. I mean, you gotta think about this. This is a big moment, like you're forming a people. You're trying to give infrastructure to, to, to just guide them. So he's, he's forming this group of people, his children, from out of this people will come our Messiah. This is a big deal. And so we are so fortunate when it comes to truth. We're not the first people that are trying to find a way to be guided by truth. We now have Jesus Christ, the living word, alive today, resurrected Jesus the living word who will, if you have a relationship with him, he'll be like, no, 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 no. When you stop feeling that, you're in a danger zone because the living word who's alive in you will be like, no, 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 no. No, oh, he'll, he'll, he'll guide you through your spirit person. So he's the living word. We have the Holy Spirit who guides us into truth. We have the written word. And so I just want to encourage you. And, and by the way, young families, we have so many young families in our church. I say this in 101 all the time. You better set this word up as the authority because there's an attack in the world we live in today on this right here. And I don't care how cute it comes. I don't care how often it comes. I don't care how dressed up it is or how beautiful it is. The enemy has one ability, lie. I've raised teenagers. And when they become teenagers... They get opinions. Well, I think. 
well, we appreciate what you think, but you've been on the planet exactly 15 years. This right here was born out of the heart of God. It'll judge us in eternity. So you know what? We don't get to have our truth, your truth, their truth. We get the truth. And you can stand on it right here. One of my first ministry assignments, I was just kind of getting started. Brandy and I had just gotten engaged. One of my first little ministry assignments, we took a group of people to the coast for a deep sea fishing trip. I don't recommend it. Not like an exclusive boutique trip with just a few people who have actually fished before, but a bunch of church folk who got on this huge boat where your lines get all tangled. It's like a hundred of them. Y'all just out there, you know, doing casting over each other, weights and books coming up. And so we get on this big boat and it was all fun and games as long as that boat was there with those big twin diesel engines and just behind the jetties. These jetty rock formations that stopped those big waves and it was just sitting there. I'll never forget, I got on that morning. There was a guy up front, kind of religious. He wanted to get the top spot. He's like, hey, I'm gonna catch all the fish today. And I wanna tell you, man, I, last night I, I ate a real great seafood dinner, you know? I'm like, well, man, that's dang, this things are rocky and stuff. So oh no, I had scallops, I had lobster, I had shrimp, praise the Lord. I mean, okay, whatever, all right, don't, don't do this. He's a, hallelujah, okay, do we have to do that? But anyway, he's like, I got all this and everything. Well, I'm just gonna tell you, it was all good while we were idling in the harbor. But then that thing turned around those jetties and there were these several foot tall squalls or squalls or whatever they call it. That thing started going up, down, sideways and all around. And let's just say he was returning it to the sea. <laughs> it looked like Titanic. 60% of the boats started it looked like a floating infirmary. <laughs> One lady was sitting Indian style and walked by her and she was just sitting there and just, blah, 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 just whatever. Uh, and I mean, it's like, could you think about maybe like getting it over that we're, we're trying to, you know, take care of the church people. And have you ever had a moment where you look in someone's eyes and realize the lights are on, but nobody's home. All day, just sat there. People were eating a Snickers to have something to give back to the seat. Anybody in here struggle with motion sickness? Anybody watching me? Anybody? Hazlitt? My daughters struggle with it. I help them. We have barf bags because my driving is kind of sporadic, just kind of. So they just keep bags back there. Here's what I learned, though, about seasickness. That, that captain, it's almost a matter of pride. You can't buy your way back to land. It's an all-day affair of you feeling like that. Four o'clock that day, they pull back up. And you know what was amazing about it? As soon as they stepped on solid land, boom, they're okay. No need for Dramamine, no need for the bracelets, the patch, nothing. All they needed was solid, stable land. I see so many people today that are seasick with life because they have nothing to ground their life, nothing to stand on. Look, it's going to change. Circumstances are going to change, but our God and his character will never change, and his word gives us something to plant our feet on so we don't live tossed about by every wind of doctrine. The final thing is we turn our hearts to idols. 
We turn our hearts to something else. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter one. When you think about this calf, it's a radical story, but 1 Thessalonians 1.9, I love this. Paul, he goes, this is the first church that he plants. The apostle Paul had been at the Areopagus and dealing with this false idol worship and he goes into this place. Scholars believe it's like 50 AD. It's 50 years into this thing starts this church and he is commending them for their faith. And he says, they tell you, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Did you see what it says there? That you don't just add the calf to the festival of the Lord. You don't just add Jesus to your already whatever made up religious lifestyle. You don't add Jesus to what it is that we want. We don't just add Jesus to stuff that doesn't glorify God. The way we come into a relationship with Jesus is we turn, by the way, if I'm gonna say something to you, I have to turn from saying it over here to turn so that you can hear it. So the truth is we don't just bring ourselves into Jesus or add Jesus, we turn from so we can turn to. I met someone in the foyer last weekend. They said, my life is so changed. I gotta tell you, when I hear these stories of the Exodus, I just think I'm so grateful to God. She shared with me all the things God brought her out of. And it's not like you have to have a terrible testimony to come to God or that we necessarily are shooting for that goal. But I will tell you one mark of people who have been brought out of living on a floating infirmary where there's no moorings and there's no understanding is they have such a gratefulness to the transformation that happens when they really give their heart and life to Jesus. What can be dangerous is religious people who think they're just okay because they've known about God their whole life. But what is powerful is when we turn from, so we can turn to the true and the living God. It's like this. We got a lot of young couples having babies on our staff right now. You know, we're going to grow the church one way or the other, you know what I'm saying? Just have a bunch of babies, you know? A lot of them having babies. And one of the young couples here, they had their first child, Brandy and I. We wanted to bless them, so we got them a truckload of diapers. I'm talking a truckload. You know what I'm saying? Like, just overwhelm you with diapers. The husband, now see, I've had four kids with diapers, so I know what's up. We brought a truckload of diapers. He said, this is too much. We're not going to need these. I said, you're a rookie, brother. You're a rookie. Yo, you're a rookie. You need those and two or three more trucks because you're going to change a lot of diapers. And I will confess to you that I'm better with the diaper when the baby has small poo-poo. Poo-poo diaper. I don't do great when they start eating like roast beef and carrots. And I'm talking, you know, they're walking around. I'm sorry all my illustrations are gross this weekend. But I mean, you know, when they got a good one, you know, when they're really dragging a full-blown diaper. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When they got a good one. I mean, you can smell it down the block. How foolish would it be if they got a good one to go get another diaper and put it over that? No, 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 you gotta take that diaper off. You gotta get, you gotta get busy there too. 
you gotta get three or four wipes. You gotta get some baby powder. You gotta get some of that cream stuff. We got diaper rash and stuff gonna be happening. And I'm so glad that Jesus didn't call us to a religion that calls us to performance to just cover up all the mess that we already have. But he sets us free from the bondage of sin and death and the slavery of Egypt and brings us into newness of life and gives us a new life and a new start. But I wanna tell you the pervasive cultural worldview of, well, yeah, I'm into Jesus and I'm into this, this, and this. You can't. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. I'm not into your idols. Well, what have you made an idol in your life? Well, what is it? I don't know. But I'm gonna tell you, over the last 18 months to two years with all the change in our lives, we've been drawn to calves in areas to try to help provide for us what we need instead of the true and living God. I don't know. Nothing wrong with leisure, but not a good idol. Nothing wrong with a nice house, but you don't wanna make it an idol. Winter storm will come and destroy it. Nothing wrong with your kids, but you don't wanna worship them because they don't do good under the weight of your worship. Nothing wrong with voting your conscience, but don't make your politics your idol. They're not our source. Doesn't matter what it is. Don't make it the main focus. It needs to be down the list. If it's a good, wholesome thing, it's okay if it's on the list, but it better not be at the top of the list because the first commandment says, God wants to be at the top of the list. And if we'll follow him, he will work in and through us to affect change in the earth through his kingdom. So I'm asking you to bow your heads with me and I believe there's somebody here maybe who needs to turn from so you can turn to. I'm gonna ask no one to move around for just a minute, even at our campuses or even in the commons, wherever you're at or in a video service, you may need to say, Jesus, I completely turn to you. I, I turn my life over to you. I've seen your goodness and your kindness. You've revealed yourself to me and I surrender myself to your Lordship. If you're not right with him right now, just say, Jesus, I give it all to you. I give my life to you. I don't wanna substitute. I don't want just an addition, Jesus, to my life. I wanna give it all to you. And if you'll just simply say, Jesus, I, I believe you died for me. You rose from the dead. You're alive today. He doesn't just wanna give you some new laws. He wants to come and write it on the tablets of your heart and change you from the inside out. So Jesus, you just say it to him, make it your prayer. I, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to let us know. Come forward at the end of the service, fill out a communication card, come to Discovery 101 when you see it. But you need to tell somebody because if you tell somebody, then you get an opportunity to start your journey. But second of all, I want all of us, every person under the sound of my voice, we do an investigation. Lord, we don't want our hearts to drift, our hearts to turn away to some other substitute other than you. God, we put you at the highest place, at the first place, Jesus. The Jesus, you are our Lord. You are ruling and reigning in the earth. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us talk about, worship, focus on, speak about more of who you are, Jesus, than the things that can consume us. Let it be our absolute heart's desire. We thank you that you are guiding us and leading us to the place you've called us to, and we can trust that because you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.